We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So let's dive into part two of the show today, which is going to look at the Notre Dame offensive line. So we've been doing this offseason overview of the team and kind of where things are, and we'll have it wrapped up in the next week or two, and then we'll kind of dive into some spring previews as Notre Dame gets ready for spring ball, which will start in March, as it does every year. So when you talk about the Notre Dame offensive line, this is a unit that's going to say a lot about how good Notre Dame can be this season. This is a unit whose ability to come together is one, is going to determine ultimately if this is a good offense or if this is a championship offense. Uh, how well this offensive line comes together is going to determine whether or not Notre Dame can be a good 10-2 and two team that plays in a, a nice bowl game and maybe wins and goes 11-2 and two and, and grows by a, another step, that type of thing. And Or if this is a team that can, can make the playoff, or if this is a team that can make the playoff and go on a run. I truly believe, because of what I know and what I also think, about other parts of the team. I think the defense is going to still be really good, if not better. I think the quarterback position is going to be a lot better. I think the skill players on offense are going to be a lot better. Even though you lose Audric, I think the overall returning at the three positions, quarterback, 
running back, wide receiver, tight end is going to be really, really good. Um, you all know I'm incredibly high on Riley Leonard. I think there's a lot working in Notre Dame's favor this season when it comes to the offensive line. The problem, however, is the question marks up front. And that's what we're going to dive into. And, and, and as you know, I'm not sure if you guys heard this part earlier, if I had muted myself, but I'll say it again. I, I think depending on how excited you are about the line depends on what you're focusing on. If you're focusing on the talent, you're going to be excited. If you're going to focus on how well this group looked in the, in the last game of the season, because everybody that played a bunch in the last game of the season, which was the bowl game against Oregon State, Oregon State they looked really good. And if you're going to talk about how well some of the younger guys played down the stretch, you're going to be excited. If you're just looking at overall talent, you're going to be fired up. If you're, if you're someone who likes size, this is going to be, a, I think, a pretty good-sized offensive line. However, if you're focused on experience, which is very important, in my opinion, when it comes to the offensive line, if not the most, the position where it is most important, I think you could argue that, is, is going to come down to where your some of your angst is going to come from. And so we'll dive into all those type of things as we get into this. But first, you have to look at what was lost, because this is where a lot of the concern comes from. It's really interesting because losing Zeke Carell the way that he played last season, it's a loss. But because I think Zeke played better than a lot of people gave him credit for. But part of the the, the reason you're not too upset about it is because of how well Ashton Craig played down the stretch. The tackle is the bigger question, and and obviously the the obvious ones that left tackle with Joe Walt. You know, this is a kid that made thirty three career start, thirty three career starts, but all thirty three came consecutively. He he was, I don't even know that he ever had an injury that we knew about that had any issues. And then you kind of get into other aspects of it, of of just how dominant he was as a junior and how consistent and steady he was as a player the last couple of years. And you say, hey, that's a big loss. That's a big loss for anybody. I don't care who you are. That's that's a big loss. And Notre Dame's going to have to find a way to overcome that. Of course, they're going to have to find a way to overcome that. With Blake Fisher, the interesting thing is going to be, it's not so much what you're losing that is the problem, because I actually thought Blake took a step back in 2023. I thought Blake was one of the more disappointing players on the Notre Dame team this past season. But the reason I think it's still a concern, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, is the fact that, yes, he was disappointing last season, but two things. Number one is you don't know that the people that replaced him are going to be any better. And number two, if Blake would have come back, there's the thought that he would have finally kind of figured it out and kind of taken that next step as a player and and would have stepped up and, and been a much, much better player possibly likely better than anybody that Notre Dame was going to have in 2024. And I think that's where some of that angst comes from and some of that concern comes from is, is that. And so it's not so much that you're losing Blake's 27 career starts. I think he made 26 of those were in a row. It's the, it's the what if, the what could have been. I think that to me is, is the biggest thing that I focus on when I'm talking about what Notre Dame lost in the 2023 season. And, of course, you also lost Andrew Christoffic, who, who had started eight career games and was a, a really good utility backup lineman. He could play center. He could play guard. He could play tackle in a pinch. I think he played – I think Andrew Christoffic at some point in time of his career, either as a starter or as a coming off the bench, played four – of the five offensive line positions. I'm, I think I'm pretty – I know at least three. 
I know he at least played left guard. I know he at least played center. I know he definitely played right tackle. I'm pretty sure he played right guard at one point in time coming off the bench in a game as well. So you're losing that also. You're lo- I mean, not, not many teams have a, a backup that have eight career starts like Notre Dame did last year with Andrew Christophic, and you're losing that as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. But what gets people excited, of course, is the next part of this breakdown, which is what returns. And we'll start, we'll kind of go position by position and just kind of break down everything that comes back and what, what has me excited. Obviously, you return your two starters from the bowl game, Charles Jagasaw. And Tosh Baker, as you can see from this breakdown, uh, if you're not li- if you're not watching and you're listening to podcasts later, your top two tackles are Charles Jagasaw, who's a sophomore, listed at 6'7", 326. And your right tackle is Tosh Baker, a fifth-year senior who's listed at 6'8", 315. Behind them, you have Emil Wagner, who I do believe, fully believe, is going to go into the spring and battle for one of those two starting jobs. At 6'6", 284, a little undersized, but very powerful and athletic. Then you have Sullivan Absher, who is a sophomore, uh, 6'7", 318. Big kid, good athlete for his size, powerful. And then, of course, Ty Chan, who's 6'5", 310. I leave Ty Chan at tackle because that's where he played last year when we saw him. I still wish Ty could be able to move inside. And I'm curious if the, the arrival of the newcomers, which we'll dive into, finally allows Notre Dame to maybe move him inside 
where Ty, I think, would be more comfortable. And, and maybe then we could see him do a little something this year. But I think when you look at the tackle position, your shortest guy is 6'5". You have great length at the position. You've got girth at the position. And Charles, Blake, Tosh has filled out a little bit. You know, Charles played really well after the first, I'd say, series and a half, two series of the bowl game. He kind of had a little bit of a welcome to college football moment on the first series or two. After that, I thought he settled in and played really good football, considering true freshman, first career start, things along those lines. And then at right tackle, you have Tosh Baker at 6'8", 315. And, you know, one of the questions that was just asked is, uh, it, you know, is Charles Jagasaw a, a pure left tackle? I think he is for the college game. I think Charles Jagasaw is a pure left tackle in the college game, same way that Mike McGlinchey was. Is he a guy that's going to look like Joe Walt? No. Is he a guy that's going to be able to do everything that Liam Eikenberg and, and Mike McGlinchey did during their careers? Yes, I do. I think he's a quality athlete. He's incredibly long. He's powerful. He can play in space. So I, th I think he can. And I think uh, I believe when you look at the 2024 team specifically, uh, and this is a question to Kenny Moore, one of our OGs who, who has the question, I understand completely the question and the concern, but for me, I look at it as Cogs versus NFL. Is Charles Jackson on NFL left tackle? I, I don't I don't know that. As of right now, I'd, I'd say no, but neither was Mike McGlinchey, neither is Lee Meikenberg, and they were both, both All-Americans at left tackle. The thing about Charles is there's none of the traits he lacks, and then num number one. And then number two, when you look at if there was going to be an issue for him at left tackle, it would be this season. But this season, when I think of what this offense is going to look like, I think he's going to fit it very well because it's going to be an offense that's going to be very balanced. They're going to be running the football. They're going to be doing a lot of different things that allow them to protect the the backside of the line in in different ways because of the mobility of Riley Leonard. So it's not so much that can he play left tackle. It's my concern. It's just going to be more of how good can he be in year one, basically as a full-time starter, as a true sophomore, you know, where will he be assignment correct standpoint? Where will he be from a fundamental standpoint? Where will, where will his conditioning be to play through a 12 game regular season? And then hopefully four games in the postseason. I think those are all legitimate concerns about Charles because we haven't seen it, but I think the talent is enormous. As I said, uh, he, I had Charles as a five-star recruit coming out of high school uh, I think he showed that off last year at different times, and I'm, I'm glad they finally are playing him at tackle. When I look at right tackle, I, I, again, I I think what's the expectation? Is Charles is Tosh Baker going to be the top hundred recruit that I thought that I had graded him coming to high school? No, he's not. I don't I don't see him making that kind of jump. I think Tosh played well in the bowl game. I think Tosh to me is a guy that still has some ability. When he can keep his pads low, he's pretty he's pretty solid, and that's all you need because, honestly, just a solid player would be an upgrade over what they had the last two seasons at right tackle. Now, do I expect Tosh to ever flash the way that Blake did when he was on his game? No, I do not. Do I believe that Tosh can, can bring a more consistent presence to the position? Yes, I do. And, and now Tosh has got to prove that, right? But I think that's that's the potential that he brings to the table compared to what it was the past couple of years. So I'm not quite as concerned about right tackle. The other reason I'm not overly concerned about right tackle is because of what else they have. If Tosh Baker's not getting the job done, you've got Emil Wagner, who's got talent. You've got Selvin Absher, who has a lot of talent. And 
you're bringing in Gerby Lambert, who I think is one of the two or three best offensive tackles in all of high school football last year. And I had graded out as a five-star recruit and interestingly played right tackle in high school. I say interestingly, because I think he's got left tackle tools all over, but his high school team played him at right tackle for some reason. So I, 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 that's why right tackle for me is not overly concerned just because you don't have to start the same guy every time because you have options. So if a guy doesn't get it done, you have people you can turn to. And that's an important part of, of why I like the tackle depth chart uh, coming back for Notre Dame next year. When you look at what comes back on guard, you have three guys coming back at guard that have started at least three games. That's a good place to be. Obviously, you have Pat Coogan at the top, started all 13 games last year. You know, had some solid moments and had some rough moments. But, you know, sometimes I feel like when, when we're when we're really critical of Pat Coogan, and, and I'm speaking to myself as well, you have to be careful that you don't allow your projection of what you thought he would be, or you don't project your your feelings of what you thought he would be uh, and, and look at it from kind of what he is. And to me, Pat Coogan's better than I thought he was going to be. He never showed me last year that he's a lockdown, no doubt about it, definitely should be starting kind of guy. And, and that's that's kind of the thing. But you know, he did some good things next year. And again, it was year one as a starter. We have to be willing to give him the chance to get better now that he goes into a senior season and year two as a starter. Will he? I don't know. But that's something he's going to have to prove. But behind that, there's a lot of talent. Rocco Spindler will be back at some point in time. I don't know when. I don't know if Rocco is going to be healthy for spring ball. I, I, what I'm saying is I'm not saying it like I'm questioning if he'll be healthy. I'm le- legitimately saying I have no update on his injury. And so I can't speak to whether or not that he will be that he will be um, able to play. But he'll, he'll, he should be back by the fall at some point in time. You know, Rocco started 10 games this year. Behind him, you've got Billy Shrout, very talented player. Billy Strouth is one of those guys that I'm very much looking forward to seeing if he can make a jump this season. I think of all the players on the board, he's the guy that to me would be at the top of my needs to make a jump, but is in a position to make a jump this season. You know, he was a sophomore last year, missed a lot of his freshman year, missed all of the spring of his freshman year, should have played earlier in the season, didn't. I thought handled himself very well when he did step in the lineup at the end. And now you you kind of springboard into next season and, and hope that that Billy can use the offseason to get better and better and better. I like the depth behind it. Sam Pendleton is a guy that that I've got my eye on as a as a player that can push young, you know, push the older players, whether it's this year or next year. Really like Sam Pendleton. And if you're not sure of Sam Pendleton or you don't really know what he brings to the table, go watch the fourth quarter of the bowl game and you'll get a sense of why people like Sam Pendleton. He's a really, really good player. And then the biggest guy of all is Christopher Tarek, who's going to be a sophomore this season as well. Moving over to the centers, you've got Ashton Craig and Joe Odding coming back for Notre Dame. Now, Ashton Craig obviously started the last three games of the season. And to me, his emergence late in the year, I thought Ashton played pretty well, considering true sophomore, first three starts. I thought he handled himself very well. At times, looked like a first-year starter that hadn't played a lot of football making mental mistakes, making technical mistakes, maybe going the wrong way, being a little bit late, getting to a certain spot. But there was a lot of snaps where you saw the ability and you're like, that guy's going to be pretty good when he gets it all figured out. And that's obviously what you saw last year from Ashton Craig. And, you know, he's longer than Zeke Carell, a little bit more athletic than Zeke Carell. I think he's a little bit natural, more naturally heavy than Zeke Carell. And I think all those things are going to uh, help him. And then Joe Wadding is going to his sophomore year behind him. Joe Wadding is a guy that I know a lot of no-name coaches are excited about. 
And the, the, the feeling is that the depth at center is going to be really good for years. You've got Ashton Craig and Joe Otting behind him, perhaps Anthony Knapp coming in behind him. There's a chance to, to re- really be good. And obviously the big thing for Ashton for me in year two is going to be, can he, can he handle the mental part the way Zeke did? And I, I think that's going to be a big part. Zeke was a pretty smart kid that can handle a lot up front from a calls and a check standpoint. And Ashton's got to prove that he can handle that. And, and now here's here's the thing that to me is going to be interesting in all of this. If they were still running the same run concepts we saw last year, I'd be a little bit more concerned about the O-line. But I'm, I'm, I'm breaking down Notre Dame's uh, – I'm breaking down Mike Dembrock right now and I'm I'm through the first two games and I mean it is inside zone heavy now I'll we'll see what kind of you know changes and developments gonna happen as the season goes on as I continue breaking it down and and so you know we'll, we'll find all that kind of stuff out but I mean it's heavy inside zone and to me that really fits in well with what this offensive line is going to be now it's not one play it's it's inside zone it's split flow it's I mean they they've run a little bit of mid zone they run lock zone. They do a lot of different things off of it, so you can't just bear down on it or you'll find yourself giving up a big run or big cutback or, or different things, but it's very inside zone dominant. And I think that really fits what this personnel grouping is going to be about. I think this is a pretty athletic group. It's got some size. It's a group that, that to me, if coached properly, has a chance to really kind of take that step and, and become a very physical moving zone type of team. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And then you look at what, what's new. And this is something to me that gets me fired up as well, because I think the top two guys on this board, Gerby Lambert and Peter Jones, both are guys that could play as freshmen if needed. Very, very talented players. Styles Prescott is a guy that I have, a, I like a lot. Very, very high ceiling. But with him, he's just going to need time. Same with Anthony Knapp. Those guys are going to need time. But Gerby Lambert and Peter Jones are guys to me that can help you out right now. So let's get down to the final part. I just talked about what what they lost, what they returned, what's new. So then it going to comes down to okay, well, what's this group going to be? And that gets us to the last part of the show, which is what are the biggest questions that we have about this line, and and questions from the standpoint of can the can these things happen, and if these things are all ha- all answered in a positive manner, then this line will be very very good in my opinion. I don't know that they're all going to get answered positively. And and if they are all answered positively, it will be a scale 
like this was answered positively, but maybe not quite as positively as another. There's always you know levels to how how good things are when it comes to to answering questions when it comes to a football team. So here are my five big questions that are ultimately going to tell us everything we need to know about the Notre Dame offensive line this season, which, as I said, I love the depth. I love the talent. I love the size. I love the athleticism. I love the potential. But the one word that I probably, and you guys know what I'm about to say, the word that I hate most in, in football is when you're using the word potential to describe a college player. Because if you're talking about potential all the time, more often than not, it's because he hasn't reached it. And that means it's an inconsistent player or, or it's a position that's not a strength at that point in time. And so to me, right now, this offensive line is almost all about potential. And when you look at, just going back a slide, a couple of slides, when you look at that part down there, total starts, they lost 99, they returned 34. Right When you only have 34 starts coming back, and 13 of those starts, which is over a third, is from one guy who most of us would argue is the least talented guy that's going to be competing for a starting job this year, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so that's where a lot of these questions come from, because right now, this group is almost all about potential. And... It needs to stop being about potential and be about production and about performance. And these questions to me are going to determine that. Number number one question that I look at is, will there be a year two jump under Joe Rudolph? We saw it last year. The Notre Dame defense made a huge jump in year two under Al Golden. Circumstances are a little bit different overall defensively, a little bit more similar to the offensive line, defensive line versus offensive line. You saw in year one, there were some times in Al Washington's line was good. Other times they weren't as good. You had a, you had a group of guys that had kind of bought into what the previous coach was selling. There was a little bit of an adjustment to the new coach. Some of it didn't go well. Some of it was okay, but it just it was a transition going from Mike Elston to to Al Washington. Year two, players are more bought in. Players are more comfortable with Al Washington. Al Washington is more comfortable with the players. They're in a system that they know. And all of a sudden in year two, D-line is way better than it was in year one, despite losing Isaiah Foskey, despite losing Jason Adamiola, despite losing Justin Adamiola, despite losing Chris Smith, despite losing Jacob Lacey, who they did lose in the middle of the season. You had a lot of personnel losses from, from guys that played a lot of snaps the previous year, and you still came out and you were a, a, a much better defensive line than you than you had the year before. And I'll just I'll just point out the snaps here as I as I pull this up. Just looking at what where the snaps were for Notre Dame in 2023 of the guys they lost, or excuse me, going into 2023. Here's the snap counts of the guys they lost from the defensive line in 2023. They lost Isaiah Foskey, who played 563 snaps. They played just anatomy, lost just anatomy, who had played 485 snaps. They lost Jason Adamiol, who played 419 snaps. They lost Chris Smith, who played 265 snaps last season. And then they lost Jacob Lacey, who played 72. I mean, so that's well over 1,000. So that's over 1,500 snaps that they lost in the D-line. They come out in year two with a much, much better group and, and, and really just thrive, in my opinion. And that was kind of the thing that we talked about after year one, 
was there was not a lot of buy-in to Al Washington in year one. In year two, there was more so, and the performance was better. And so to me, does the offensive line follow a similar year two jump? Yes, you lost some very talented players, Joe Wall, Blake Fisher, Zeke Carell, just like you lost Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamiola, Justin Adamiola, and Chris Smith from the defensive line. But you go out in year two, and your performance is even better. Can the offensive line do that? It's not an apple. It's not an apples to apples conversation, in my opinion, because defensive line you had a much deeper rotation. A lot of guys have played this year: Howard Cross, Riley Mills, Nano Safa Mensa, Jordan Dutelho. Gabriel Rubio bringing in Javante Jean-Baptiste. They've played a lot of football, even though they weren't starters. When you look at the offensive line, it's a little bit of a different situation because you're talking about a group that has not played as much football and because you just don't rotate as much. And it's also an offensive line requires way more just cohesion than a defensive line does. Not that it's not important on the D-line, but offensive line, there's a lot more I'm working with you, not I've got to make sure I'm in this gap because that's my gap and you've got your gap, but we have to work together in harmony as a duo and as sometimes as a trio, but all together as one to make sure we're being effective. And so there's a lot more to that, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, the play of the offensive line. So can they, can they, can we see that kind of jump? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. We've seen this a lot at Notre Dame, in my opinion, in recent seasons, where the level of play goes up in year two of a position coach. Not always, because I think it went down in year two with the receivers coach. Chancey Stuckey did not do as good of a job in year two as he did in year one. We've seen it in other years, but Chris O'Leary got better. Mike Mickens got better in year two. I even think with the loss of Logan Diggs, the running backs were even more fundamentally and technically sound in year two under Dylan McCullough. So we've seen it a lot in recent years at Notre Dame, where in year two, groups got better than where they were before. And so to me, when I look at it, I, I view this as a situation where there's a chance that it could get better, but it's got to be proven. And that's what we don't know, because I did not like the play of the offensive line this year. Way too inconsistent not nearly physical enough as a group, not nearly. I mean, it just, they, they step up in, in big games against Ohio state and then completely lay an egg. You know what the bed, whatever expression you want to use the next two weeks. And you just can't have that on the offensive line. You have to have some level of, I know what the floor is when you're talking about what a group can do on the offensive line week to week to week. That's the question that they need to answer. Number two, and this is part of year two jump, so it kind of goes together. Can this line be more physically dominant? One thing we saw late in 2022, and this is the Harry Heastan influence, is you saw a line that became more physically dominant week after week after week. And a, a, you saw a group that you said, boy, when they are – I mean, just think about what they did to Clemson just physically whooped Clemson's butt, just physically whooped Syracuse's butt. We never saw this offensive line really do that this year. Even in the games where they were blocking for good yards, they never were dominant. It was a lot of it was just make some level of a hole and then go let Audric be Audric. 
You know, there was never that sheer dominance that we saw from the 22 offensive line and from what we saw from a lot of Coach Heastan's offensive lines over the years. Can this group be that? Part of it is coaching. You know, one of the things we talked about a lot with this group last year was they would stop their feet when they went on contact. They would not drive through. They, they didn't catch as much as they caught under, under Jeff Quinn, but they still caught too much. Some of it was footwork. Some of it was guys just weren't dominant players. Well, you're not going to have that excuse this year. You've got guys, in my opinion, across the board that can be physically dominant players, either with size and power or athleticism or a combination of both. Can this unit be that on a more consistent basis? And then just overall consistency. And that's number three. Can this unit be more consistent from a week-to-week basis? We saw moments last year the offensive line was pretty good. Loved how they played against Ohio State. That's a very good defensive line. And then you come out against Duke and you just get your butt kicked for 60 minutes. It's not acceptable at Notre Dame. Never acceptable at Notre Dame. Can this unit be more just, hey, here's the floor, week to week to week, you know what the floor is going to be. There's going to be some weeks you play better than the floor, but the floor has to be here. It has to be in a good place. And we have to learn if this unit can do that. And that's more from a focus standpoint. It's more from an effort standpoint. It's also about execution. It's about playing with sound technique each week. It's about adjusting to what the defense is doing. And honestly, I, I, I'm i kind of going to give them a little bit of a pass for the first three, four weeks because it is going to be a young group getting together, and there's going to be some mistakes here and there. But as we kind of get closer to Louisville and beyond, these things should start to get worked out. And it's exactly what we talked about with Coach Eastan in 2022 we said, hey, look, first three, four games, there's probably going to be some bumps in the road, but once they get rolling, they should be rolling, and that's pretty much what they did uh, in 2022. Can they do that in year three, year two under Coach Rudolph? That's what we're going to find out. And if he is the coach that that we think he is and hope he is, then I think that's this is going to be one of the things that, that has the biggest impact is just the week-to-week consistency as players have a better understanding of, of what he wants and as he has a better understanding of who his players are. Those are all going to be aspects that you're going to find out about it. Number four, what position battles are going to happen this spring? To me, this is a big question mark. And number one is, will there even be position battles? Or is Joe Rudolph just going to kind of go into the spring and say, these are my five, and barring somebody just playing poorly, these are my five? I hope not, and I hope we have legitimate battles. And if we do have legitimate battles, then we get to to question number five. Will the most talented players rise to the occasion? The reason I put that number five is because if you don't have a position battle, then you make it impossible for younger players to, to perform. And this is one of the biggest frustrations that, that, that we have every year when we talk about who's playing and who's not. There's this notion of, well, if they were playing better, they'd play. As if the coaches never make mistakes, they're always right, they always play the perfect guys and the right guys. And that's not, how, that's not reality. It's not how football works. Sometimes it's about, hey, you got to give a guy an opportunity to shine. And if you don't give him that opportunity to shine, then he's not going to shine. Right. So first and foremost, Joe Rudolph needs to create an atmosphere in which competition is is welcomed and appreciated and encouraged. And then let the best man win. And if that if that type of competition is allowed and I'm talking about all five positions. Then it comes down to do the guys that we perceive to be the best players step up to the occasion. That's going to be the final question. Does Charles Jagasaw raise his level of play? Does Ashton Craig raise, raise his level of play? Billy Shrouth, guys that we know about. Who, who does that at right tackle? Is it going to be Tosh? Is it going to be Emil? Is it Sullivan Absher? Is it Gerby Lambert? Who, what about left guard? Does Pat Coogan kind of raise his level of play and solidify left guard? 
not because no one was allowed to challenge him, but because he was allowed to be challenged. And then that challenge caused Pat to raise his level of play and he beats out those younger players. And then he rises to the occasion or does the, do the younger players to me step up? And so to me, when I say, will the ta- more talented players rise to the occasion, that doesn't always necessarily mean that they become a starter. If Sam Pendleton comes out this spring, and I believe Sam Pendleton is a more talented player than, than, than uh, excuse me, Pat Coogan. There's not a doubt in my mind. Peter Jones is a more talented player than Pat Coogan, in my opinion. It, there's several players that I can point to and say, that guy's more talented than Pat Coogan. But Pat Coogan has other things going for him, including experience. So if the talented players, like a Sam Pendleton, like a Sullivan Absher, you know, like a um, uh, Peter Jones, who, whoever you want to list, Emil Wagner, whoever the case may be, if those guys step up and play well this offseason and really start to show off their skill, and there's a real competition allowed at these positions, because real competitions are, are only real if the result can be impacted by what happens on the field. If there's a real competition and those guys step up and play, then left guard is going to be really good this year, whether Pat Coogan starts there or doesn't. Because if, if it's a real competition and Pat beats those guys out, then the expectation should be Pat took his level to another his game to another level, and he's ready to be that veteran presence at guard. You know, same thing at right guard. You know, when Rocco comes back, does Rocco push at left guard against Pat? Does he push Billy at right guard? If Rocco brings his A game and Billy brings his A game, then guess what? A real battle will happen, and you're going to be better at right guard, whether it's Billy Shrouse starting, whether it's Rocco Spinlow starting, whether it's Sam Pendleton starting, whoever that Sullivan Absher starting. It doesn't really matter. And I know it's easy for us all to kind of jump onto the bandwagons of players that we liked coming out of high school or guys that we think have the most potential. But to me, these two things are not so much about Notre Dame will be at their best this year if player A steps up. It's not so much about that as much as it's about as a, as a unit, do younger players and veterans all raise their level of play? Are they given real opportunities to start? And is there a real competition? Because if there's a real competition – then your five best will start. Otherwise, it's not a real competition. And so to me, I don't care if, if it's Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler again at guard. Don't care as long as it was a real competition and they were the best players for that position. And best player to me is a combination of potential, like not potential, talent, and then consistency and execution. And I've said this before, if the talent, if the execution is similar between a veteran and a younger player, and the older player is slightly better from a from a consistency standpoint, but the younger guy has a, a greater gap in talent than play the younger guy with more talent, and then he will eventually grow into being a more consistent player, where the guy that's not as talented doesn't all of a sudden become more talented just by playing more reps. And, and now he becomes more consistent, but he doesn't become two-tenths of a second faster because he's played more. He doesn't bench – you know, a hundred pounds more on the bench. He doesn't squat more. He doesn't, he's not able to move D tackles more just with physical dominance just because he, he has more experience. You maximize your own ability more with more experience, but a guy that doesn't have Quentin Nelson's talent is not going to dominate like Quentin Nelson just because he has 70, 80 starts under his belt, right? You have to have a level of talent. So that's going to be the key is guys have to reach their full potential, their potential this season. And if that happens, then I'm confident this offensive line is going to be pretty good no matter who starts. And, yes, we will all kind of have uh, 
our, our preferences on who we want to start. I do. I'm not saying those are bad. I'm simply saying just because we think so-and-so players should start there, if he doesn't, it doesn't mean that the guys that are there can't play or that there wasn't a real competition. And it doesn't mean that there isn't that there there isn't that those things either. And that's what we're gonna have to find out when we get out there in the spring, and as we continue to talk to more and more sources around the program. And at the end of the day, the judge judge them will be how they play, and that's gonna be the key. This offensive line is gonna be so important to how good this team can be, and you know how this team plays. Caleb, if listen, if Riley Leonard's everything that we hope he is. If the young running backs are everything we hope they are and the receivers are everything that we hope they are and can be and the tight ends are good again, this is going to be a really good football team. 10, 11, eight. they could even go 12-0 with just an okay line with the talent that they're going to have based on how good those players are and how good the talent is on defense. But once they get to the postseason, they're going to get exposed if they don't have a line that takes a big jump in year two. And, and honestly, that's what has me excited about it because I do think there's the potential for it to be good, but there also is legitimate concern because we haven't seen it. And anytime we haven't seen it, it's a question mark. And then they have to go out and prove it. So we'll see if they can do that. We're going to go to the mailbag next. Before we do, folks, do me a favor. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you've not done so, uh, sign up for the message boards at boards.arsbreakdown.com. We'd love to see you over there. Got a lot of stuff going on. You can sign up for monthly memberships, annual memberships. You get discounts to the Irish Breakdown store, whether you sign up for one or the other. And then, of course, if you want to help us above and beyond just our, the normal prices, we do have the Booster Club, which comes with some free gear. So if some of you are saying, hey, I really wish I had an IB shirt or an IB mug or whatever the case may be, you can talk to me about signing up for one of those Booster Clubs, and we'll get you we'll get you hooked up, get you taken care of. So check those out as well. And that you can find at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale. 
at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.